Theology. Theology Unplugged. Welcome to Camaro Theologian. I am not in my Camaro, obviously. I am in my office, but I do have my Camaro right here. This is a 69 Camaro, my favorite Camaro, my dream car. Uh, but I may have to wait until the new earth to get one of these. Um, I want to talk about the biggest problem in theology today. Well, at least the biggest problem that I see, not the biggest problem in the church, but the biggest problem in theology today, although they may be related. Um, and this is just comes from, you know, years of teaching theology and, and being involved in theological circles. And I, I, you know, I, I find that in theology, once you learn theology, once you have engaged and you get excited about it, sometimes this creates this, this, uh, you, you begin to put yourself in, into a little box because you're, you're figuring things out. You're learning about what your different views are on, on different aspects of theology. And you're, you're putting these into your box and you're beginning to understand things. You're very excited about it. And you, you get a lot of conviction because you're learning. You're learning the arguments for one side and the arguments for another. And you end up taking a view. This happens a lot within my circles of Calvinism. Probably the biggest problem within Calvinism is I, I just don't like to be around any Calvinists. I mean, not any Calvinists. There's 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 some that I that do well, but uh, you know, j just so many of them are so arrogant within their Calvinism and exclusive within their Calvinism. This happens within anything. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're a, a all-millennialist or pre-millennialist or, or, you know, uh, somebody who believes in uh, believer's baptism versus, uh, versus uh, paleo-baptism or, or something like that. You're, you begin to get yourself so tightly knit and you lose all sense of wonder and humility I mean, the theology has so much wonder in it. It really does. I mean, yes, we've got we've got so many of the puzzle pieces that God has given to us about what what we are to know, what we are to believe. But there's so many of them that are left out, and so many of them, you know, we're not really sure where to put. And, and we've got this huge puzzle, and people put their puzzle together perfectly, and they want to hand off their puzzle to anybody else. And anybody who doesn't have a puzzle that is fit just exactly the way theirs are, you know, they, they begin to criticize. And, and the internet is filled with so much criticism of people's views that are slightly different than yours. And you know, if, if, if it's just a slight bit difference, then all of a sudden it is completely wrong. And these people are, are far off and you shouldn't listen to them and, and let's give warnings about them. And it, it just becomes ridiculous. I mean, we're just we end up shooting our brothers and sisters over and over again. And we lose uh, any sense of humility, which humility is, I mean, Humility to me is, is, is the greatest human virtue. It really is. I think it's the greatest biblical virtue. And I think the opposite of it is the worst. But whenever you have humility, 
there, there's so much there's so much strength there there's so much uh there's so much influence there's so much attractiveness to that I, I don't know how to couple strength with humility the bible calls this meekness and it calls Jesus meek. I mean, that, that's a great word. If you if you've ever studied that word meekness, it's this it's this idea of having strength, but not necessarily using the strength. Uh, kind of like a racehorse, you know. A racehorse has has great strength, but it may be you're sitting there and you're petting it. It's it's kind racehorse and everything, but you you just know how powerful that racehorse is. I don't know if, if that's a good word for it, but I, I think meekness is, is definitely something we, we, we need to have. But humility becomes so lacking within theological circles that we, we jettison the most important virtue in order to fine tune our theology, whether we're right or wrong, on areas that the Bible and God just didn't, he didn't, he, he he didn't care to be clear enough on to, and I know you think he's clear. I know you think it's absolutely clear, but other people don't. And it, it doesn't matter that much. Some of this, I, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I don't want people to go the opposite direction and just kind of be laissez-faire theology and don't, don't worry about anything except for, you know, do you love Jesus? I mean, you, you've got to define things. You've, you've got to start trying to put things, your, your puzzle together. And, but, but once we get this puzzle together and this puzzle looks, it looks like Jesus, you know, your puzzle looks like Jesus. Mine looks like Jesus. And, and, and it's good enough on all the main puzzle pieces, but whenever you don't have this one puzzle piece, the same as me, do I really need to criticize you? Do I really need to put out warnings about you? Do I really need to act as if you are further away from the throne of God than I am? I mean, I, I don't know how I can do that. I don't know how we can do that. And, and the, it's so hard because that's, that's my field. Theology is my field. I want you to be passionate about theology. I want you to study theology. I want you to, to dig deep into God's word and take it seriously. But yet at the same time, learn that there's, there's, there, there's, there's a theology of mystery we call this in, in theological circles an apophatic theology, a theology. Sometimes it's called the theology of negation, where we, where we say what is, what's not, because we can't define it perfectly as what it is. In other words, we, we talk about God being um, uh, omniscient and omnibenevolent, but we also talk about him being immutable. Uh, beyond mutation, beyond change. Uh, th those types of things that speak in the negative, we know what it's not, and, and it creates this parameter so that we know that this is what it is. It's kind of like in theology, you, you set up all these buoys where you swim to, you know, it's don't swim past this point, but you can swim all in this area. And uh, the Bible sets up all these theological buoys where we don't swim past this point. We don't go past the point where we're denying the, the eternality of Christ or the, the, um, the, uh, the, the sinfulness of man. But do you really have to get all 
of it correct within those buoys. Like, let's define exactly what this sinfulness looks like in every aspect. I, I don't think so. I mean, you, you, you there, there's so many things that are just good enough. They really are, and they have to be. And then we have to we have to kind of we we put out the options and maybe you take a position, but you kind of you kind of just relax in the mystery that God has given to us, which it is a mystery, which so much is a mystery. I mean, can we do that? Can we do that, Calvinists? Can we do this and say, listen, I'm passionate about my Calvinism. Here's, here's the way that here's the reasons why I believe the Bible teaches it. And, and here's how it affects my life and changes my life for the better on a daily basis. But I understand where you're coming from. And, and, and just by saying I could be wrong, doesn't necessarily, you're not saying I think I am wrong, obviously. I mean, we're saying we could be wrong because we know that in this area, it's not clear as it could be. I mean, we talk about um, uh, in Calvinism, we talk about the eternal predestination that God before time predestined things, uh, including our salvation. Well, the others say, well, we believe in predestination, but we believe that he did it before time looking ahead into time and predestined on that basis. I know I don't believe that's right, but at the same time, if you believe it, I understand why you believe it. I understand how you're trying to reconcile God's universal love and his universal call for all people. And then at the same time, how would he call people who he knows are never going to be called by him and do not have the internal ability in any sense to turn to him. Therefore, they, they build their theological system and, and, and it makes sense to me, their theological system, which I just think is wrong. But I'll still, I'll still fellowship with you. I'm not going to create videos that talk about how dangerous you are. And certainly I'm not going to I'm not going to call you a liar. I hear that all the time, people. You know, that's just plain lies what he's telling. Well, you're, you're, you're demeaning this guy's character. And are you really sure that he is wrong, number one? But number two, more importantly, do you really think he knows what's right and then is saying, I'm going to deceive and say he's lying? I mean... Isn't he just, if he's wrong, can't, can't we just say he's mistaken? I mean, he just has a different way of building his theological system than I do. Therefore, that's why he's wrong, not because he's a liar. You may say, well, those are lies from, from Satan or, or whatever else. I don't know. Come on. Come on. We know that Satan does all kinds of lies, but I don't know if that particular thing would be a lie from him, and if it is, I don't think this guy or that guy that you're criticizing knows that it's a lie from him, and therefore is continuing to propagate that lie. So I don't know if you could call that person a liar. I mean, we just got to be so careful. I love, I love whenever I see theological humility. It disturbed me at first. It really did because we like to have things in this box. We like to have everybody's box look like ours and just get it all together. And we, there, there's this comfort zone. This is emotional comfort that we like to have and and stay with. And whenever somebody really messes with that, it's disturbing and it can cause some form of of doubt. 
and cause you to doubt other things. Therefore, you try to put everything back neatly into your little box. But what you end up doing in the end is you exclude other people. Uh, criticize other people. You make yourself feel better by calling them liars, and and maybe that's that's uh, that's a defense mechanism because of our own insecurity. We call them liars, and uh, then more importantly, it just seems to be that we we end up excluding our circle of fellowship so much that we really don't have anybody to fellowship with anymore. I mean, maybe it's a few people at your church. I know this one guy, I mean, he criticizes everything. He hounds me online for everything I do. I mean, he it seems like he used to be on my side. And then at some point, he realized that I don't hold, believe with him on a particular theology. And it's not even that I don't believe the same way he does. It's just, I say something like this, like you can believe this other view and be okay and be right with God. And that's what it is. It's, it's this particular view both of us hold to, but I don't hold to it as strongly as he does. Therefore, uh, he, he talks about how dangerous I am and, and how I'm misleading people. And I mean, I, I, I have never heard him call me a liar, but I, I'm sure that's probably the way he thinks because that's the type of person he is. And, and I know this particular guy and I know what has happened to him within the Christian world to where he has moved from place to place to place to place to where now I don't think he can find any fellowship anywhere. It doesn't even belong to a, a church, uh, I don't believe. And, um, uh, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe his wife and him get along. I don't know uh, if, he, if he carries the same type of attitude into his marriage. That ain't going to work too well. Trust me. I mean, grace. Grace and humility, those things are absolutely beautiful within a world of theology. When coupled with your own passion, and I, and I really think those things have to be, you can't jettison your passion and say, well, if I do this, if I go the direction you're saying, Michael, you're going to say, I don't care about these things. No, I've said this before. It, just because it is a non-essential within theology does not make it not important. And then more than that, it doesn't make it not important to you. You may be one who should go out and, and teach people about Calvinism or, or premillennialism or pre-tribulationalism or something and focus on those things. But, but be careful because the, the focus itself can create such an exclusion more and more to where you, you just, this, is, this becomes an essential. Yeah, you may not call it an essential. You may say, yeah, yeah, I guess that guy can be a believer without believing this same way, but you know, he can't be a good believer. And I want to listen to him and I want to hire him at my church and I want to allow him to teach. I don't know. I mean, in the end, is there some way that you and I can adopt early on a deep sense of humility into our practice of theology without moving so far east 
Some of you will know what I'm talking about here. So far east that we just don't really care about these issues of theology anymore. And just give us the love of Jesus. And that's all I need. Jesus has a name. Yes. And just because somebody says, let me pick up this light and put it back. Just because Jesus has a name and just because somebody says the name Jesus doesn't mean they're worshiping the same Jesus. I know that. I know that. That's one of those things in theology that, that we need to be passionate about, that we need to think deeply about. We need to say, what do you mean when you say Jesus? I mean, even in Jesus's day, he says, who do you say that I am? Nobody said, well, Jesus, you know? And he said, okay, thumbs up. You got it right. <laughs> you called me Jesus. Now, I mean, everybody knew his name was Jesus. And there were different people who were following him, calling him Jesus. But different people had completely different understanding of who he is, you know. Uh, some people were saying Elijah. Some people were saying John the Baptist risen from the dead. Other people were saying maybe uh, another prophet of some sort. But they all were calling him Jesus, but they didn't have the right Jesus. I know how important it is to get the right Jesus, okay? That's a, that's a center of fellowship. That is, that is you, you don't get the wrong Jesus. Now, I'm not saying you have to have every bit of your theology intact about Jesus and understand it all in order to be saved. I know that there's some variation there once we get into some of the finer particulars, you know, is he, is he impeccable or peccable or something like that? You know, those types of things. I'm just saying, who do you say Jesus is? That's number one. I mean, we center in our fellowship around that. Who, whenever people say, I, I, I worship Jesus, I say, who is Jesus? You know, that's, that's a good question. So who is Jesus? A right understanding who, of who Jesus is, and then a right understanding of what he did. What did he do? The person and work of Christ. The person and work of Christ. The person and work of Christ. Those are the two most essential uh, aspects of our fellowship. So you, you say, who is he? What do you say that he did? Well, he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. Well, okay. He died on the cross. Why? Uh, he died for my sins. Okay, good. We're good. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead. Um, those two things uh, create this center. Of, I, I know that you could say those things and maybe get something wrong. Like he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. Um, but again, if you say he died on the cross and he rose from the dead, he's this guy that became God who died on the cross and rose from the dead wrong because you got the person of Christ wrong. He is God. He is the son of God who died on the cross. And I know we have to even define son of God. I mean, cause a lot of people believe he's this created son of God. Well, you can't create a son of God. So, okay. Person work of Christ, who he is, what he did. And you can't say who he is and what he did and say, uh, he died, he died on the cross and rose from the dead. You say, why did he die on the cross? Well, he died for my sins. Well, good enough right there for my sins. I mean, if, if, if somebody says he died for those people's sins over there or somebody else's sin, uh, you know, the wrong, he died for your sins. Now, if you disagree with me about 
the the exact nature of the atonement. I know I'm going to get in a lot of trouble here, but the exact nature of the atonement, how the cross deals with your sin. Um, and you, and you may say, well, you, you may even go so far as to say something that I think is very wrong, uh, that you say, well, uh, he died on the cross. He rose from the grave for, uh, he, he died for my sins. And, um, the, how that happens, how that works is that the, the, the devil had control of me and he wouldn't release me until Jesus died. And then once Jesus died, uh, the devil released me. Well, you know, I think it's real wrong. And I think it's one of the more serious wrongs in the sense of, um, uh, it wasn't the devil that, that required the payment. It was God himself that required the payment. But even then, even then, as long as you're not focusing on it, and I'll talk about that in a minute, as long as you're not focusing on it, then uh, I, I'm good with at least fellowship and including you into my circle. I may not like your teaching on that. That may be one of the more serious areas that the bigger puzzle pieces that you and I have differently. Uh, and, and I'll try to explain it. But, uh, you know, if, if you don't agree, I, I don't think you're a liar. I, I just think you're wrong. So there, there we go with that. Now, taking this one step further on, on any of these, if you disagree with me on one of these particulars, and that is all you speak about, like that's your main, that's the main thing you're known for. You're always talking about it. You're always pushing it. You're always pushing your particular view. Then I got some problems because it's not your theology I have a problem with. It's your attitude. And I do believe you are unknowingly misleading many people because you think you're leading them in the right way. You begin to, you begin to focus upon that as if that is the most important aspect of your fellowship. Well, I disagree with you. I believe in substitutionary atonement to where the father himself laid his wrath upon Jesus on the cross. And you say, well, I think you're a heretic. Okay. I got a problem with it now because you've excluded me based upon a non-essential. It's not the problem that I have with your ransom to Satan view, which is your view, whenever you say Satan required the payment, it's the problem that I have now that you are excluding other people and, and calling them heretics based upon their disagreement with you on this. And again, I, there's there's things out there that I'm not so sh I'm not so sure where to place them exactly. And that is part of the humility we have to approach this with, that we're not exactly sure where to place some things, but we are sure where to place the person and work of Christ, which includes our sinfulness because he died for our sins. And then everything else, I'm not saying everything else like this, everything else is negotiable, you know, no big deal. Uh, but everything else is negotiable in a sense. It's not equally important. And there's some things that are much more important than others, but whenever it comes to the circle of fellowship and uh, our, our ability to understand that one day we will be in glory together and hopefully know the answers to these questions, there we go, we're, we're good. So don't focus upon these non-essentials and make them the thing you're known for and the flag that, you, that you're that you carrying higher than the flag of the person and work of Christ. 
If you're out there carrying Calvinism, and that is a flag that people know you for more than your stance on the person and work of Christ, that's problematic. I'm not saying you're a liar. I'm just saying it's problematic. You got to think about it. If people know you for your, uh, you know, constant, uh, persistent pushing of some non-essential doctrine as if it is essential, I got a problem. That's one of the problems. Why? That's the reason why I have so much problem with so many of the Calvinists that I run with. They just... They just, they just focus on this. They're just, that's, that's what we become known for. And we be, we begin to act as if not only are we the only Christians, not only are we the only good Christians, we're the only ones who are really thinking Christians. You know, everybody else has some type of, some type of, uh, spiritual deformity or spiritual, uh, 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 rebellion that they're in because they can't accept the hard doctrines like us. Well, ironically, if you're a Calvinist, the only reason you can't accept it is because God has given you uh, or opened your heart to accepting those things. But anyway, you know, I, I, I think that this is important. Um, I, I pray that this is something that you think deeply about, theological humility. humility. Sometimes it's called epistemic humility, uh, the, the idea that your epistemology, the way how you know, you, you approach it with humility, how strongly you know you approach it with humility. That's what epistemology means. But uh, yeah, I hope this has been beneficial to you. And it's always hard doing something like this because you feel like at the same time while you're doing it, you're, you're going against what you say. But I'm not trying to exclude anybody. I'm, not, I'm, 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 do, I'm trying to do the best I can. And know this, that I will do the best I can with theology. Those of you who have been with me for a long time, I hope you see that. Um, I hope it's sincere. I, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I come across as if... Um, I'm, I'm, this becomes the, the, you know, the shibboleth, the, the, the uh, way to be able to be accepted. Uh, and, and in some ways it is, it has to be, because if you don't accept me, how, what, what difference does it make? You, you're not letting me into your fellowship. So you're not going to be in my fellowship. I can't force you to be in mine. Well, uh, this is Camaro Theologian. I'm signing off and I'm, I'm posting this through Theology Unplugged. Those of you who are listening to Theology Unplugged, you can go to YouTube and see this on Camaro Theologian. Uh, just search for Camaro Theologian. I think it's YouTube slash Camaro Theologian or the Camaro Theologian. I don't know. Uh, but uh, you can find it there. And those of you who are listening to Camaro Theologian, you can find the podcast at Theology Unplugged on iTunes or whatever, whatever feed catcher that you have. So have a great day and um, uh, God bless you. Theology 